Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we can share mind and business growth tips, strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Head on over to www. The road forward slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Thanks again for joining me on today's show where we chat with my friend, Johnny Guidry from the Refractive podcast. Johnny is an amazing friend. We've also uh, started to collaborate on some projects together and it is just, you know, it is probably one of my favorite things about podcasting is I was uh, in a Pod Pals call hosted by my coach, Adam Shibley from Podcasting Business School. And I met Johnny there and we just instantly hit it off. I had him on the show, which you're going to get to hear today. And we have started collaborating on some other project as well, because I think that, you know, and I heard this um, being said the other day is that those of us in recovery, those of us who have overcome adversity or addiction, we are really hard workers. We know how to get shit done. And I keep hearing that over and over and over again. So I hope that any of you that are listening that are struggling right now, that have been through anything in your life, realize that, you know, you got through that stuff because you were resilient, right? You were persistent. So you had all the skills that you needed to. And when you take that energy and you put it into something that you actually love and you're passionate about, it's amazing the changes that you can make. Now, if you are someone that's listening and you're not quite sure what your purpose is, you're struggling with those limiting beliefs, go to the show notes after the show and click on the 30-minute discovery call. These calls are absolutely free. You can book a call with me and there's some questions for you to answer so I can help you get pointed in the right direction so you can start creating goals that align with your purpose in life, align with that direction, align with, you know, what you really want to accomplish. We can get you started. I'll provide you as much value as possible on this call. And like I said, it's absolutely free. So head on over to the show notes and you can book a 30 minute discovery call with me today. Okay, so let's dive into today's episode because this is not about me. This episode is about my amazing friend, Johnny Guidry from Refractive Coaching and the Refractive Podcast. Johnny is absolutely amazing. I loved hearing him share his story. 
you know, he was in a life of corporate and for a long time he talks about how his, you know, drinking days were a lot of fun, right? And and I know for me as well, it it kind of went along with the territory, right? Where I was traveling a lot. He shares his story about being an HR professional and I was in sales and I would travel around all the time. And part of the job was going out and drinking after work and having a good time. And so he shares his story around his experience and of course, what inspired him to start his coaching business and you know how he worked really hard to get that going. And I loved, we had a good chat about spirituality and how that is incredibly important to him. This completely aligns with what he coaches and what he talks about in his podcast. And, you know, we talk about how he helps his clients find their highest inner wisdom. So you're going to learn a lot. Make sure you take some notes. He talks about his three pillars and uh, let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. I am hanging out with my friend, Johnny Guidry, founder of Refractive Coaching. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to be on your show. You know, recovery is such a topic of passion for me. So uh, yeah, this is a great marriage for us. I love it. I know. I'm so grateful you're here. So why don't uh, you give my audience a quick intro, who you are, what you do today, and then we're going to dive into the past. All right. So yeah. So uh, like Tamara said, my name is Johnny and I, um, you know, I started a practice about a year and a half ago on coaching. I just um, knew that the career I was in was not a fit for me. And I knew that I wanted to help people step into their authentic purpose and calling. And so, yeah, so today I am a coach and I focus on spirituality, personal growth, right-sizing your career, stepping into your passion. So that's really my path. And as an important part of that, I do podcasting so that I can help people with practical guidance on how to move into their power. So that's it. And I love that you do that because it's very similar to my, what I call sobriety is my superpower today. It has allowed me to actually discover what my purpose is. You know, life had been training me for this very moment. So I feel like we're so much alike that way. But I always, you know, when I share my story, I always talk about the fact that I did have a very good upbringing because there's this misconception that people who fall into addiction have to have a horrible upbringing. Now, you and I both know that is the case for a lot of people. A lot of people, unfortunately, have to go through that. But kind of what was your story? Like, what was life growing up for you? Yeah, so I didn't have a terrible upbringing. upbringing. I mean, my father was an alcoholic, but he was very high functioning. I only saw signs of intoxication maybe two or three times in my life. Um, There was never like beatings. uh, uh, There was not physical abuse. But I will say that my dad and my mom didn't get along and they argued and fought a lot. Um, And I was a really heavy kid. And that uh, combined with being gay, was, it made growing up in the 80s tough. And um, I just felt from the very get-go that I was damaged, I didn't belong, and that my connection with other people was always tenuous and threatened, and that I needed to do whatever I could do to protect uh, that those relationships with other people so that I would have a place and be seen. So that was really uh, the path that led me to drinking because um, Tamar, I'm sure as you know, we hear it all the time. Um, and as other guests of your show knows, the, the first time I got drunk, 
I remember I was in the French Quarter. I grew up in New Orleans. And the first time I got drunk, I was 16 years old. I was in my Catholic school uniform, like just picture Britney Spears, right? Walking into a French Quarter bar with her Catholic school uniform. That's me. And I, it's Ash Wednesday. I have like my ashes on my forehead and uh, I'm 16. And I go up to this bartender at like five o'clock on Ash Wednesday. And I said, I'd like the strongest thing you have. And the bartender goes, I don't know what chartreuse. I was like, perfect. Give me chartreuse. Right. And so I proceeded to take four shots of chartreuse in the middle of the day in the French quarter in a school uniform. And, uh, and it was a hot mess. There was vomiting and all, all of that stuff. So that was really the launch into my alcoholism. And it just didn't stop because once I had that experience, once I got that buzz and I felt for those moments that I wasn't broken, I was, people wanted to be with me. Like people thought I was great and I felt free and attractive and powerful and um, charming for the first time. And there was no way, there was no way that I would ever give that up. That was it. It just took one time and, uh, and there was no way. And it almost took me down. Um, but I have to say, I'm grateful for that alcoholism tomorrow because it saved my life. I attempted suicide and I think there would have been more attempts because life was so bleak until alcohol pulled back the curtains and gave me a shot to feel like I wasn't a freak. And, uh, and I believe alcohol saved my life until it didn't anymore. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And we have very similar stories, but obviously I was north of the border and, you know, I was at a house party and I remember like you, I, we moved so much that I felt so out of place. And it was almost as though life for me had gone from black and white to color. And I was just like, this is it. This is my solution. I no longer have to feel I'm the person that I think other people want me to be. And yes. that was a result today, which I realize is completely no self-love, right? I was always seeking love from everybody else. If people didn't like, if my dad didn't say he was proud of me or I didn't hear that, you know, that, um, you know, like you're okay, you're loved. I really had low self-esteem. So for me, alcohol covered all that up for, for me. Um, so I felt like I was, you know, funny and I was cool and, and like you said, right, you finally fit in, you have a place in the world. So when did you start to really realize that it was a problem for you? Because I know I had hit many bottoms throughout my journey. And my last bottom was when I finally decided to stop digging. And it was not my lowest bottom because I had had those many times before. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, I was a blackout drinker and um, I... The week I graduated, I went to a party school for college and uh, the week I graduated, um, I moved to Miami Beach and I lived in South Beach and I just fully adapted the party lifestyle. And uh, it was just, it was uh, going to the bars four days a week. It was, you know, lots of sex, lots of blackouts. And I just thought it was all fun. Like, like the blackouts were just like a cool thing that happened. Um, but people at work started to tell me, hey, if you wanna grow in your career, you need to stop this partying. Like direct confrontation about that stuff. Cause I would come into work and they used to joke and say I had little eyes. Cause I would come to work and I'd be like, 
you know, and so, oh, people are, pe- I'm sorry, this is an audio podcast, but I squint. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, it became, um, now here's the other side of it, that I got all the validation I needed from the alcohol. I got access to that life I wanted, but during the day, I got it from work. Like when I would go to work and I would get patted on the back and I would get appreciated and celebrated and promoted pardon me, promoted. Um, I got the same effect that alcohol gave me at work. I felt like a superhero and um, my reputation spread all throughout the company. I worked in hotels. I did HR and um, I got promoted seven times like in a decade. So I I just, um, I couldn't let go of the validation I was getting during the day. And it was the conflict of alcohol and, and work because these two essential systems for me became at odds with each other. And I had to give one up after, during a blackout, I went to my luxury hotel where I was an HR manager in the middle of the night, pulled up a seat at a bar, wearing my tank top and party clothes and everything, and uh, had my employee serve me Jägermeister and proceeded to flirt with a guest who happened to be sitting next to me and invited this guest's boyfriend to go outside for a fight, right? So this is what happened to me. I mean, we're not allowed to go to the bar, but in the middle of a blackout, I walked in and did all of this. And so on Monday morning, my boss was like, we need to talk about what happened this weekend. And I'm like, oh, all kind of cool stuff happened this weekend. I went to, I went shopping and I went to the, she's like, no, 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 no. We need to, what, to talk about what you did here over the weekend. And I was like, um, I, I was not here over the weekend. And she's like, I just watched the security footage. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she brought me and she showed me engaging in this behavior. And I had no clue because it was all in a blackout. Let me tell you, I would never threaten my career. It was so valuable to me to feel worthwhile during the day. I would never threatened my career. And it was during a blackout I did. And so I got to this point where, what am I going to do? If I did this one, I could do it once I could do it again. How do I make sure I could never do this? And my therapist at that point said, if you don't go into recovery, don't come back because it's a waste of both of our time for me to try to help you if you're continuing to to drink. So I went into recovery and uh, I never drank again. But Uh, and I'll wrap this up, Um, about two and a half years into that, I stopped engaging in my recovery fellowship. And for five years, I didn't drink, but I had no system of relief. And my life devolved in all these other ways. I I got $35,000 worth of credit card debt during that time. And it got to the point where I couldn't even make my minimum payments anymore. I declared bankruptcy. I uh, turned to compulsive eating, which was always a problem for me. And I got to 425 pounds. I was on six prescriptions strapped to a CPAP machine. And I got to the point where I had to quit my job because I couldn't handle the physical aspects of it at this obesity anymore. So I ended up without a home, staying on a mattress in my mom's living room, not able to fly, not socializing at all, in bankruptcy, 
on all these medical issues. And that was a second bottom for me, where even though I wasn't drinking anymore, my whole life collapsed because I wasn't getting the relief that recovery offers. Oh, I, I think we might be twins. I think we should do a family tree after this interview because oh. I just, you know, I had that five years too where I got complacent. I mean, you know, I, I want to go back a little bit before I jump into that though, is I think that, you know, when you said you kind of switched the your lifestyle, you moved to Miami. For me, I thought that society always glamorized drinking, right? I remember mm -hmm. I thought because I was 215 pounds when I finally hit my bottom, but I thought, hey, if I lose weight and I look beautiful and I feel pretty again, then it's going to heal the pain I feel on the inside. Well, I realized that wasn't true, but I remember when, you know, my uh, a coach that I hired, a, a personal trainer, she was actually in recovery. I had no idea at the time. Um, but she's like, what's your goal tomorrow? And I'm like, I want to fit into a bikini. I want to be comfortable in my skin and I want to go to Las Vegas and party at a pool party. <laughs> Because for, and she kind of looked at me and of course she was in recovery and she's like, okay, why the Vegas part? I'm like, cause I've always wanted to go to one of those really big pool parties and all night and dancing. And you know, I've gone to Vegas, but it definitely was not as glamorous as that. I don't remember anything no. after the pool actually, you know, not even making the pool party. But I think that we are drawn to that right where it's the excitement it's the thrill it's the lifestyle do you feel it's kind of the same because not all my experience was terrible no um no it wasn't terrible like um like we hear in recovery it was great it was fun until it became fun with problems until it became problems with no fun right and that was definitely the pattern for me and so i feel I have to tell you, I feel blessed to have had these dark experiences because um, they've equipped me with a set of tools and a system for living that is the entire reason I was able to walk away from my corporate job, um, tune into my inner knowing, understand what my calling and my purpose is on a deep, deep level, and then drop like my connection to money, drop like my connection to all these things and just like fall back into the arms of a higher power that um, let me embrace my calling. And now I'm in two fellowships, right? Because um, another fellowship around my compulsive eating w saved my life the second time. And uh, so there you go. And I think that's why it's so important. Like I could be part of all the fellowships pretty much, I think. If, oh, I, yeah. if I wrote oh, it yeah. down, I'm like, oh yeah, that one, that one, that one. But, you know, for, I feel like before I was able to find my purpose, I really had to build that foundation. And I think that's what recovery did for me. Like I think a lot of people, A, they don't want to admit they have a problem because maybe they have not recognized that this is a problem for them yet. Um, so I think a lot of people don't get help because they can't relate. You know, they think that you have to be homeless. You have to be under a bridge drinking out of a brown paper bag. And that's not no. everybody's reality, unfortunately. Right. No. But what was, no. you know, I had to build that foundation before I could discover my purpose. What was early recovery like for you? What was your experience? Well, I didn't take I didn't take my recovery from alcohol seriously. I saw it as a social uh, a social 
experience and I just uh, had fun with a, with a bunch of friends. And that was really, uh, that's why it was so easy for me to leave recovery and put it down because I didn't really, I didn't really think it was that important. Um, I just was like, I can just not drink. Like I'm blessed to not have um, withdrawal. I'm blessed to not have like that physical, uh, that physical addiction that I that I know so many um, alcoholics have. Um, I just couldn't stop when I started, and uh, and so early recovery for me was fun and lighthearted because I didn't take it seriously. Um, when I when I went back as a member of two programs um, and started to work the steps, um, early recovery was very uncomfortable for me. I felt self-conscious at every single meeting I went to. I felt um, intense need to people please with my sponsors. I felt um, I felt resistant and defiant to the guidance I got. And you're right. Like it, I heard someone once say that in recovery, you have to tear down, like you have to take off the roof, take out the windows, take down the drywall, take down the studs and get down to the slab and then rebuild this life based on sanity. Because the fact is, I didn't want to, I didn't want to drink so much it hurt my life and I couldn't not. I didn't want to eat so much I, I couldn't ride in an airplane because that's what happened. Yet I did it. And even after I did it, I, I remember in my head at a drive-through, at a drive-through saying, please just leave, please leave, just go. You don't need to do this. Like you're not blocked in, you can just go. And, 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 and it was like, there was a beautiful young child in my head saying, please stop hurting yourself. Stop, you don't need to do this. You can just leave. And I'm like, no. I'm doing this. And so I was insane. I was insane. I didn't have money and I kept shopping to make myself feel good. I didn't want to have unprotected sex, but I couldn't say no if in the moment. Like I kept doing bad stuff to myself, not wanting to do it. And that insanity um, was what made me willing to turn my will over because I just saw the damage that I was doing and I couldn't not do it. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how powerful cross addictions are. Food is one for me too, because I love eating. I love getting together with friends. It's a social thing, but I'm also incredibly addicted to sugar. I mean, you know, I just got over a period again where I started down that path and it's like, I know how it feels not to stuff my face with this stuff, but I still do it and I, I do know better. So that's, that's you know, an area I have to tread very lightly and I have to be very mindful of it. But when I turned to my higher power and I discovered that higher power as a result of finding recovery, right? And I, I used to be so, with when it came to the spiritual aspect and I remember thinking, oh, what's this God thing? Like, I'm sorry, but God's never been there for me. I would be dead if I had no high, like, there's clearly something looking out for me because I'm here for a reason. Um, you know, did, is that kind of why you got into the spiritual aspect or you, I know you said you went to Catholic school, but when did that spiritual change really happen for you when you really surrendered and found your purpose? 
Yeah. So I believed my higher power was what were the systems of the universe. I didn't believe there was a sentient being. I believed that there was an order to the universe. There were these natural laws of gravity and, um, you know, and physics and all of this stuff. And I believed that as long as we moved in harmony with these laws, as long as we didn't fight them and try to contradict them, life would flow. And, as, and, and uh, if we tried to rewrite those laws, we had a hard life. So for my first, uh, let's see, I got sober in 2008. And um, so up until 2016, that's what I believed and it worked for me. It was enough for me. Um, but um, there was, uh, as, I, as I came to terms with the fact that I didn't wanna do my HR career anymore. In fact, I never wanted to do HR. Um, I took an HR job because someone offered it to me and I felt so validated by being offered a job that I didn't even ask for that I couldn't bear to say no. And I worked so hard in HR to continue that validation that 16 years later, I was in a career that I never wanted and I didn't enjoy, but I felt trapped by the money. I felt trapped by the position. I'm not qualified to do anything else. And if I were to leave, I would have to drop my income by 70% in order to start over. And uh, so I felt trapped. So the thing was that um, I decided to join the Navy. And as an officer, I would get re-educated. I would get housing. I wouldn't have to worry about money. I did all of these things. All my, my, my concerns with changing my careers were gonna be solved. But the thing was, I got a few months away from starting officer candidate school and my weight started to balloon and I couldn't stop binging. And so my, 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 even after I had lost 200 pounds, my compulsive eating came back and it prohibited me from entering the military. And so I worked at trying to address this through recovery. Like, why am I doing this? What's happening? And no matter hard, how hard I tried for two years, I couldn't stop binging. And uh, that led me to a period of spiritual seeking because everyone around me said, this is a step two problem for the people who work the 12 steps. This is a step two problem. You don't um, have a relationship with a higher power that you believe will restore you to sanity. Um, you still are trying to manage it on your own. And I was like, that's not true, but it was, and I just couldn't see it. And so that um, process of spiritual seeking to try to stop binging led me to realize I didn't want to join the military anyway. I was doing that just to try to fix the hell I was in and I got freedom to do what I really wanted to do. Um, of course, we don't have time for all this, but like I, you know, I had to figure out what it was I wanted to do. Um, and that was a whole process too, but I got the freedom to walk down that path by, um, developing spiritually by being willing to grow spiritually and do it putting in the work yeah and that's a huge aspect of it now do you feel like um because you've discovered your purpose in life and well you can get into your coaching as well but for me i feel like because i've discovered my purpose i there is no way i want to go back to the old life i live now i have to keep up on my recovery i have to keep going back to the basics every single day but do you feel like now that you're doing what you love and you're coaching that this has actually helped you create a life so good for yourself that you never want to go back to your old way of living listen hr is a great job 
it's a great job. Like if you have to pick a job, like HR is a good one. Um, it just didn't light my passion. And for years I muddled through and people would say, are you happy with your life? Just like a general conversational question. And I would always have to say, no, I don't think I've ever been happy in my life. And I just kind of assumed that that was a, oh, that that was just a way, like happiness was a fleeting moment. And that was just how I agreed to live my life. Um, but it's through this spiritual growth that I realized that I'm the architect. Like nothing can cut a diamond, but a diamond. And like, I'm the only one who can hold my cage shut. And that uh, it was me believing I can't, I can't. There's no other option. I can't survive on $40,000. I can't, uh, I can't handle telling people that I'm an administrative assistant or whatever the new path was gonna start at. Like, I can't do that. Like, that's not practical. I believed it wasn't practical. And once I was able to let go of the ego, once I was able to trust that um, magnificence, not just a nice life, magnificence is my birthright. I am a spark of God. And like, I deserve to have a blank, amazing life. And uh, it's what I was born for. And uh, anything less than that is me holding myself back. And once I internalize that through a lot of like self-work and spiritual work, the kind of stuff I help my clients with today, um, I was able to let go. And uh, yeah, I, I don't intend to go back. I'm willing to, if that's where life leads me. If that's where life leads me. I cashed out all my 401ks, all of it. And I lived on that for a year and a half until my practice was up and running. And, uh, and I got down to zero because I trust, I trust that I'm taken care of. I have never for a single moment in my life not had my needs met. And so why is it that I believe that when I retire, my needs won't be met? Like that is fear. And, you know, so this is how I got into coaching because once I realized the the restraint that I was applying to myself, I realized that I'm not alone in this. And that if I can do it, if I can come from that far down and, um, and step into a happy life for the first time in 40 years, if I can find love for myself, true love for myself for the first time in 40 years, if I can be okay not being in a relationship for the first time in my adulthood, um, then this is a path that's not unique to me. And that if other people look into their inner knowing and their intuition, and if they will get quiet to follow their best inner guidance, everybody can have this. And I just want other people to know, like I just wanna take people by the hand, shine the mirror on them and say, you are a spark of the creator and magnificence is your birthright, if you'll believe it. Whew, that was powerful because it's exactly the way I feel and it's exactly why I'm doing what I do today. And, you know, you talked about the beliefs and for so long, I always thought, well, who am I to write books? Who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to, I'm an alcoholic and I labeled myself like that for so long, even though 
I had a good career, right? One that I should appreciate, one that I should be grateful for, right? But it's not what I wanted to do. And that's exactly why I got into coaching as well and just took that leap of faith. But our beliefs will always overpower our willpower, yes. always, right? Yes. And so yes. that's what we have to work on. So what type of coaching do you do today? How do you help your clients? Mm -hmm. um, before I say that, do you mind if I read a quote from Marianne Williamson? Of course. So, uh, so, you know, you just said, who am I to like write a book? And um, before we started this, I said, you know what? I really want to share this Marianne Williamson quote. It's well known because uh, Nelson Mandela actually cited it in a speech. Um, but uh, this quote uh, mirrors exactly what you just said. And it gives me goosebumps every single time. And uh, it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Boom. Like, that, boom. Mic drop. Yes. I mean, thank you, Marianne Williamson. I don't know about you on that uh, presidential debate stage, but this is a gift to the world. Mm-hmm. That yes. was good. So, yeah. So the coaching that I do is all about helping people step into their authentic power. And there are three pillars in life, as I see it, of authenticity. I call it soul, salary, and society. And so uh, in order to have a life that feels right, you need a job that feels good and that opens the doors that you need, whether it's through finances or uh, experiences, et cetera. You need relationships and boundaries with other people that honors your inner guidance, you know? And then you need uh, to have that soul knowledge you need to look inside understand what your inner highest self is telling you to do and be willing to do it you know i try to help my clients live like puppies puppies are my hero because they 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 play when they want to play they eat when they need to, to eat when they're tired of playing with you they walk away and they don't feel bad about it they go to the bathroom where whenever their needs tell them they need to, right? Um, when they don't like the energy of something, they walk away from it unapologetically, but not rude. They don't, you know, they never, you know, they just follow their inner guidance 100% of the time and they bring joy. They bring joy by doing that. Like it's why we love them. So why can't that apply to me? Like, why can't I follow my instincts and guidance um, through a filter of love and reverence for other people? Why can't I follow that and have people love me? 
And what I've discovered is when I do that, people do love me and I love myself. And that's the try to the, the kind of coaching that I work on. Uh, you know, I've never heard anybody reference puppies, but as you, you know, guide us through that, you know, what it's like, it's so true because, you know, you mentioned the people pleasing before, and I had a huge issue with people pleasing, right? It was always to seek that validation that I was enough. And when I actually started traveling for a living and getting to spend time by myself doing what I loved, I started reading, I started to be um, open-minded to things, right? I would explore just like children do. And that opened my world up and I slowly started to become okay with being alone. But I love like, you know, it makes me think of boundaries, right? It's okay to say no. It's okay to not do what doesn't serve you and your purpose. And I love that. Now, every time I see a dog, I'm like, you go boy or you go girl, <laughs> right? Because right. But you know what happens though? Puppies grow up and just like humans, they get conditioned, yes. right? They get conditioned. So it, 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 dogs are not quite the same as puppies in that regard. Mm -hmm. You know, um, dogs get scared and skittish or aggressive or whatever. So it's puppies, right? Puppies aren't aggressive. Mm -hmm. Puppies aren't skittish. Puppies love curiosity. They embrace the adventure, but they still back away when their intuition tells them to. And uh, so that's why I got to say puppies, not dogs, you know? That is brilliant. So what inspired you to start the podcast? Because you have an amazing show as well. Thank you. Well, here's the thing. The news is garbage. Like, I'm not going to say that it's not useful. I skim the NPR headlines and I try not to open any of the articles. Right. Um, but but any of the, the news channels, it's just 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 go to go to your favorite news source and read the headlines. And it's designed to make you uncomfortable. Right. That. The, the, this idea that by educating yourself on what's happening, you're more secure, but they're destroying your inner security, you know? So uh, uh, the whole idea of people arguing and belittling each other on social media, people trying to make us uncomfortable. So we reach out for security blankets in the news like this weighs us down. So my podcast is designed to be a counterweight to that. My podcast is lighthearted. It's fun, but it is based on moving into your authentic power. And uh, it's based on right-sizing your career, stepping firmly like into healthy relationships. And the guests that I have on there are people whose life journey I trust I curate and I'm willing to bring to my listeners because while it's lighthearted, it adds a punch of like, of, of useful examples of how to honor yourself. So that's what I, 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 I that's my goal with my podcast. Um, you know, you can find it on YouTube or any of the podcast platforms. It's called uh, Refractive. So if you just Google Refractive Podcast or you look at it anywhere, you'll find it. And the the the, the point behind the title is refraction is the bending of light as it passes through an object. Um, and my whole goal in life is to shine as brightly as I can, as Marianne Williamson said, and aim my light so that it helps other people realize they can aim their light. And by aiming my light, I step into the magnificence that's my birthright. My birthright. 
Oh, so powerful. I could I could chat for hours. Like this is a subject I'm highly passionate about. It gets me excited. I can't sleep at night when I talk, you know, right before bedtime about this kind of stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> like I love you, it. I you love know, it. we're like those I always say to anybody who has come into recovery and that's kind of at that place where they're not sure what they want to do in life, I'm like, or when they say, I don't have the willpower like you do. It's like, if someone told you you couldn't have a drink, would you do anything? Wouldn't you fight tooth and nail to get that drink? And the answer is always yes. 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 It's like, so if you can harness that sort of energy and do something good, just imagine the change you could make in the world. So If you were to give any fi- like final words of advice, people maybe that are still struggling, they haven't learned to live in their authenticity, what would you say to them? Meditate. I know, I know it's intimidating. I know it feels so hard. Um, you know, I started out by doing five minute guided meditations on an app called Meditation Studio. It was one of those free apps I got from a Starbucks. Uh, you know, they had like those little business cards with free downloads. And uh, that's the first time I ever did meditation. And um, and through these five minute guided meditations, I became more curious and I trained, I built that muscle and uh, to the point where now I can meditate in silence for 45 minutes or an hour. And I, I meditate every single day. But the thing is that your inner knowing and your inner guidance, you were born with it like a puppy. And the thing is that the more you ignore it, right? As your school friends say, oh, your hair's ugly or, oh, you're stupid, right? As, as you hear this, you quiet down. Your inner guidance says, walk away from that person, but you want to be a part of the group. So you stay there and take it, right? And so by, by disobeying your inner wisdom, you forget how to hear it. Meditation is how you connect back with your inner wisdom because we were born with a map to like a glorious life. And so that's the single most powerful thing I can tell anyone is meditate because whether you believe me or not, you already know, you already are, like you already know and you already are. There is not a single thing that you are not and that you don't know if you are just willing to go into the stillness. I love it. Now, how can people find you if they wanna learn more about your coaching, the podcast and uh, just following you on social media. Yeah. So, I mean, you can find me on uh, Facebook or on LinkedIn. You can just search refractive coaching. Um, You can find me on Instagram uh, at refractive life. You can just email me at Johnny J O H N N Y at refractive coaching.com. You could just Google refractive coaching and it'll come up in all kinds of different ways, but yeah, that's how you do it. And you know, I do public speaking and motivational speaking. I do coaching, I do meeting facilitation. And then of course there's a podcast. So there's free stuff, there's paid stuff. Um, and I'd, I'd love to interact and answer any questions, even about recovery or whatnot with your listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think what you're doing is such a gift and it's so needed in this world. And I just appreciate that you came and would share your story, uh, with us today. Thank you, my dear. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And, you know, just to reaffirm that I think spirituality is such a huge part of recovery, however that looks for you. I know for me, it has been 
Um, it has allowed me to kind of step back and not want to control everything and everyone in my life because, you know, control is something I still have issues with once in a while, right? I'm a control freak. So I don't know if you can relate, but I know that, you know, adding the spiritual aspect of my journey has played a major role in allowing me to calm down a little bit and step back and not always want to jump in and do everything. So guys, you know, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. And guess what? Johnny is one of my entrepreneur friends in recovery that may just be on those calls. So if you want to come meet him, chat with him, pick his brain, make sure you come show up at our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party call. It is, you know, 10 minutes opening up with me doing some training on how to master your mind. I talk about beliefs. I talk about mindset. We talk about emotional intelligence as well as a subconscious mind and purpose. I mean, you know, I love purpose. So we're going to basically be talking about brain science of growth. So I'm going to be able to help you implement some strategies from the, from science, right? Um, it's some good stuff. And then we get into our 90 second speed connection round where you get to share who you are, what services you provide, you know, what your audience is and ask for connections, ask for some help, some favors from the rest of the group to help support you in maybe you've got a book launch, maybe you've got a course launch or, or maybe you're just looking for something that will complement and allow you to scale your business even further. And then of course we ended off with 10 minutes of a hot seat where a member gets to volunteer to basically share one of their biggest roadblocks and have the rest of the group and you know share their areas where they overcame those roadblocks. Also, we do member training. So if you have something you specialize in and you want to teach that to the rest of the group, you'll get a chance to to do this training with the group and then they have a chance to ask some questions afterwards. So I hope to see you there. You can head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.